Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Tulum Bay. Tulum Bay is weak. We need to rebuild. The epic fiction podcast Tulum Bay returns. Have we met before? Oh, yes, General. You have no choice. It has to be done. In the name of God, what have you done? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here in our LA studios. Guest producer Doug in the house. We uh, came out here for a trip and as you all know, when I go to LA or New York, I try and jam as many of these in as possible. And this is the first of what will be seven interviews over the next couple of days. And uh, today, as I look at the Capitol Records building right outside the window, I had the wonderful and charming and super cool and smart Matt Gorley. And uh, Matt, I met a few years ago at uh, one of the Max Fun Cons, which is where I've met a lot of awesome people. Uh, Matt was in uh, part of the Super Ego crew with uh, Paula Tompkins and Mark McConville and Jeremy Carter, one of the best, for my money, one of the best, if not the best improv groups that I've ever seen. The guys are great. You should go listen to Super Ego for sure. Uh, and... Matt has a few other things you should uh, check out. He's a big movie guy. He has a great show called I Was There Too uh, on the Earwolf Network where he he interviews sort of the uh, side characters that pop up in, in random movies. Um, it's really interesting. It's kind, of, it's kind of cool because it'll be like a big movie, um, but then he'll pick – and it's not like the second lead either. He'll pick out like the fourth – or fifth person on the call sheet uh, and interview them about their experience, which is really cool. He also has a great show called Pistol Shrimps Radio with Mark McConville. I'm not even going to tell you what that's about. Just go listen to it. And, of course, why I had him in here, he has a great show called James Bonding uh, with Matt Mira where he talks about and they talk about their love of James Bond. Um, and this is a James Bond special. Gorley is – he goes deep and his knowledge is vast. I was very impressed. And knew exactly what I was going to get when I had Matt in here. And his choice um, for his for the Bond special was Casino Royale, the great relaunch of the franchise with Daniel Craig. And uh, boy, we really get into it. Great, great movie. And Matt knows a lot about all of this stuff. So it was super fun to have him in here. So here we go with Matt Gourley on Casino Royale. Where do you guys live? You're out Pasadena, but it's right, right. by Eagle Rock. It's yeah. just over the border. No, I love Pasadena. I man. do too. My, we had um, when we lived in Eagle Rock, 
our best friends lived in Pasadena in kind of like your house, probably. I haven't seen the outside of your house, but one of the great old craftsmen and that they kind of restored themselves. Yeah. Yeah. The, ours is a little Just bit lovely. of a, a runt and it's actually like a mid-century house that they put shingles on. So it's kind of a fusion. But oh, really? It's tricky. But you I macked it. it out on the inside. We've, it's very <laughs> impressive. We macked it out. I didn't know you had, have you always had those skills or? Um, I learned a lot of them in college when I studied scenic design and construction oh, okay. and stuff. But so then scenic. I had a tiny, tiny little house in Long Beach that I kind of learned on. It was a little starter home. Yeah. And then when I got in this one, I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's dive in. Oh, it's badass, man. Come hell or high water, devil be damned. Let's do it. It's funny. I think I saw you very briefly at Sketchfest a couple of years ago and introduced you to my wife. And I was like, Matt's the one from the magazine. <laughs> She immediately knew. She was like, oh, right, the plaid walls. <laughs> yeah. If I go to my grave and people know me as the plaid walls guy, oh, they're I think gorgeous, I'm okay man. I love it. I'm all about it. There's a bar in Atlanta now that's um, just sort of, uh, they kind of threw back to that Mad Men style yeah. in a big way. Yeah. Uh, called the Ticant, I think, no, the Ticonderoga Club. Oh, what I a name. I think that's the name of it. Oh, it's great, though. Wow. It's such a like a fun place, and yeah. yeah. If you ever get to Atlanta, let me know. I was just there a couple of years ago. In fact, when I was working on the house, that's where Amanda was for two and a half months. Oh, was she on a movie? Yeah, she was, and I was like sending her color samples. It was like Lost in Translation. Oh, right. Except it literally <laughs> was Lost in Translation because I'm fairly colorblind, uh -huh. and so what I was sending her doesn't translate over digital photo. So we neither yeah. of us had a true representation of what we were getting. <laughs> yeah, Emily always laughs at my. I don't think I'm colorblind, but she picks up all these subtle tones that I never see. Yeah, she's like, "That's not gray. That's blue." Yeah, I'm maybe like, it's you clearly are. gray. I might be. Who knows a lot of what one out of four men are? Oh, really? Yeah, and I, that, I imagine it's on a spectrum too. It is, and mine's not severe by any right. means. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, your plaid, your walls are plaid. I know, and that's enough. <laughs> Uh, where did you start your life? Yeah. <laughs> where were your formative years? Whittier, California, Nixon land. Oh. Yeah. In, uh, I, in a place called East Whittier, which is like as middle class kind of, you know, like Tim Burton, back to the future home. Yeah, yeah. As you can get, 50s tracked homes, uh -huh. that kind of thing. Yeah. And stayed there until I went to college and I lived in Long Beach for 20 years. And then, 20 years? And then in the past... Four years moved to LA. So you went to college at Long Beach, Long Beach State, yeah, twice. <laughs> really for grad school and wow. What was State. your graduate degree in? It was in acting and directing. Wow. And my undergrad was in scenic design. So you were all in. I guess I went there thinking, oh, I'll do graphic design and business with this practical mindset because right. I love to draw. And uh, that quickly, well, my art teacher told me I was seduced by the line. So I was like, ooh, because oh, I like great to line. illustrate more than, you know, like uh -huh. paint necessarily. So I thought scenic design would be a good way to do <laughs> acting and art and yeah. stuff. But turns out that was, there was a conflict there too. Those two departments didn't want you to. Yeah. Long Beach is pretty great. I love Long Beach. It's, it's not, people think of it as just kind of a, I don't know. I mean, it's a big city. It's a long beach. It really uh -huh. is a long beach and it has everything, but there's some parts to it that are beautiful. Yeah, my I had a the only time I spent down there was when I lived here. I had a friend that lived there for a little while, so I would I went down there probably six or eight times to hang with him, and that was my first kind of overnight exposure because I'd always stay, and it was cool. I loved it. The vibe it was just you definitely feel like you're out of L.A. 
much yeah. more laid back and kind of relaxed. Exactly. And they have this like great retro scene and they also have, uh, everybody talks about the Venice canals, but there's an area there called Naples, which has beautiful canals, especially oh, really? at Christmas. And all of these canal houses go crazy for Christmas. And yeah. you do a walk along the canals or a boat along the canals wow. and you see this decoration. It's wonderful. That's nice. Yeah. So since you majored in that stuff, you were into it, into movies from the get-go, huh? Yeah, well before I was even into acting or theater. I loved movies specifically, I guess, you know, action and war movies as a boy. Yeah. Star Wars really did it for me. I saw it in the theater when I was, I must have been four. Yeah. Know. So how old are you, like 40? I'm 45. Okay. I'm yeah. 47. And I remember seeing it, I think I, you know, saw it five or six times in the theater as a six-year-old. Yeah. And uh, man, it just, it was, yeah, it was a life-changing thing. I have more of an emotional memory of it because I know my parents have told me we saw it in the theater. Yeah. So it was Empire was kind of that for me where I went like for I sure really be uh, just kind of conscious of how much I loved it and went to see it a bunch of times. Yeah. Jedi too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same for me with Star Wars. Like I remember, I remember going with my brother, but even those six year old memories are, you know, sort of hazy. Yeah. But yeah, Empire was, you're going in as a fan with expectations Right. And that's the first thing I was probably a fan of like that. Me too. In fact, I even remember the food I ate for Empire. Oh, really? What was it? It was an orange soda and a hot dog. Uh But because that was a fully formed memory where even I had anticipation going in. So I knew I'd remember it because I was looking forward to it. Star Wars, I was just being taken to. I had no idea it existed, you know. Yeah, no one did. Yeah, yeah. Those hold up pretty well too. Those, yeah. Have you seen them? (laughs) Lately? Yeah. Uh, every now and then I will go back and watch those first couple. Yeah, Didn't love Jedi, so even as a kid. Like, really? So you, yeah, you're, you got two years on me. You probably had enough of a critical sense to know that it had taken a step down. I did A little bit of a step down. I mean, I, I didn't walk out of there going, that was garbage. Yeah. You know, as whatever. How? What year was that one? 83. Okay. I was 12, but, um, but I, I just, something felt a little off to me. Yeah. I always say that one got grandfathered in because it comes before my <clears throat> set of critical skills. So even to this day, I right. watch it kind of just like yeah. with the joy that I had back then. <laughs> That's great. I think I remember it wasn't, I wasn't like anti Ewok or anything. <laughs> I think I remember feeling like uh, I liked Luke to not be a badass. You which like, was yeah, weird. Interesting. Uh, I liked the story of him as a kid and learning how to do this stuff. Especially in Empire, you yeah, know, that was where it all happened. Yeah, and then once yeah. he was wearing black and sort of <clears throat> kicking ass, I was—I uh, don't know—something about that turned me you off. Know, now that you say that, I feel like I can apply a little bit of a—I don't know—like um, a questioning of that myself, where I'm thinking, like, do I buy even this actor as? There's a little bit of the lady who doth protest too much in right. his portrayal of Luke as a masterful Jedi, especially when yeah. Jabba makes pretty Jabba. 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 I always called it Jabba as a kid, so you've got me reverting back. <laughs> oh, you called him Jabba? I think so. And Han. Uh, Jabba makes pretty quick work of him, you know, when yeah. he, the mind trick doesn't work on him and all that. Mm. Yeah. I don't want to ruin it. We're going down a bad road. I don't want to undo your uh, your love. Uh, what were some of the other big biggies as a kid? Well, I loved, loved, well, obviously like Raiders too, you know, those yeah. that kind of gets lumped into the same group. But before we even get to James Bond... Um, I loved World War II movies, especially, and then later Vietnam movies. But mm, me too. Oh yeah. Oh god. Yeah, like the first, 
my first R-rated movie was The Big Red One. Oh, wow. That yeah. my dad took me to. Yeah. And my dad is not a movie guy no. or a movie goer. Uh, I've said on the show before very famously that the last movie, I think still my dad's seen in the theater was the Bo Derek Tarzan film. Oh, my God. <laughs> he just wasn't into it. But I had an older brother. <laughs> Wait, is, that's not the legend of Greystoke, or it is? Is that a different one? No, no, one? no. That was, a, that was a decent one. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Bo Derek. <laughs> Who played Tarzan in that? Uh, I can't just some. I think he was like some big Swede. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, actually. <laughs> but yeah, so my parents were super into it, but I had an older brother. And, um, but my dad did take me to the big red one. Mm. And I think that's where I was like, man, I think I like war movies. Yeah. And they were always on Saturday afternoons yeah. on TV. So like the great escape would be on for like four hours with commercials. Yeah. And then there was this movie that they showed a lot to this day. In fact, I even considered pitching it when you asked me to be on this because oh, it's wow. not a good movie. Uh-huh. Well, I'm told it's not a good movie. I still see it as a child and uh-huh. I love it. It's called Force 10 from Navarone. It doesn't hurt that Harrison Ford is in it. Yeah. And Robert Shaw uh-huh. and Carl Weathers and Edward Fox. And it's just one of those men on a mission movies yeah. where they, you know, drop off bit it's, by it's bit. It's sort of a quasi sequel, right? To The Guns of Navarone? It is, yeah. But it's also, it's directed by a Bond director, Guy Hamilton, and it has Barbara Bach and Richard Keel and Robert Shaw, all these Bond uh, so actors. the DNA is in there. It <laughs> is. And it re- you can feel it in more ways than one. There's yeah. something about the makeup of the whole thing, but- I find it to be an incredibly satisfying movie with all the different character types, and you never hear anything about it. Yeah. I bet anybody would watch it now, not having the nostalgia that I have for it, would go, what is this? No, I, I, I like that movie. Do you know the Friendly Fire podcast? Yeah. Uh-huh. They they covered that one oh. not too long ago. Oh, I got to listen to that. Yeah, so it was kind of cool. Okay. And in fact, I'm, I'm having those guys in in a couple of days to do Platoon, <gasps> which I was watching last night in the hotel. Let me tell you. That was the movie that shook my world. <laughs> so it came out when I was in eighth grade, mm-hmm. and I saw it six times in the theater. I was obsessed yeah. with that movie. I, we watched it. It was in college for me, and we watched it a lot. Yeah. Or maybe not came out in college, but it was VHS in college. Yeah. And, I mean, I feel like we watched that movie 20-plus times. I quoted that. I had the screenplay. I had the press kit. Yeah. I was obsessed with every character's name in that movie. Uh-huh. There, There is a holy grail line in that film that I still it's, – it's vulgar. I don't know – how... Yeah, yeah, we can say what we want. Okay, so I'll make this story as short as possible. No, I love the it. character of King, played by Keith David. Uh huh. He has... one of my favorite dudes in that movie. Yes, yeah. And he's talking to Charlie Sheen before the big battle at the end, and he's uh-huh. talking about what he's going to do when he gets home because he's yeah. leaving. Uh huh. Tennessee guy. Yes, that's right. And uh-huh. he goes, "So forgive my language here, but he goes." I'll be sniffing the pines, sniff that cross mountain pussy down by the river. And I cannot imagine, and I have asked friends and lovers, what does that mean? Not while we were in love, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I have had so many different versions. It's like a litmus test of what you think that could mean. Like, is it mounted 190 degrees? Right. Is it like a Christian cross? So, so much so that I was talking to, Jeff Davis and Dan Harmon about this. And Dan Harmon uh-huh. was working with Keith David and we were in text communication with him oh saying, will you God. please ask him what this means? You're like, I'll finally have the yes. answer. <laughs> and he answered and we were no closer to the truth. And he just laughed and went, ha ha ha, the shape. The shape. It still doesn't make, it doesn't make it any clearer. Well, it does rule out the Christian thing though. Unless he means that. 
that's the shape of the... Oh, well, I don't know, yeah. because then we started a whole other <laughs> rabbit hole of interpretation, and I apologize for this vulgarity, but believe me, this is more of an academic quest for me than, <laughs> than it is anything else. And I still want to know so badly. Yeah. Is that a phrase? Was that something you could only know? I had certainly never heard it before or since. <sighs> Oliver Stone fills that film with so much nom jargon yeah. that you need a glossary, and I learned almost everything, and I knew what it all meant. Yeah. But that is one that eludes me to this day and probably always will. Yeah, such a great movie. Um, and I watched like half of it last night and I'm going to finish up later today. But it, I haven't seen it in a long time. So yeah. it, it was coming back to me, though. It's one of those that I know all the lines. Yeah. And I thought, was that just me in college loving it? But I, I wonder not. about that it myself. Was, no, it's, it's great. holds up. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. And Oliver Stone, as heavy handed as he is. Yeah. This uh, was, it was fine. It works for this film. And yeah. It, it's, I think, my only film of his that I like his only, I, I think I liked wall street. I still love wall street. Yeah. I never saw that as a kid, as a young guy. Yeah. Like I saw it later. And it's weird that that movie would appeal to a kid in high school, <laughs> yeah. you know, high stakes, uh, world of finance. <laughs> I'm just thinking that you're probably going to get people, maybe they'll respond to both of us saying, this is what it means. And it's going to have certainty, but we're going to get eight of those that yeah. are not. I'll let you know. Like, okay, yeah, please. I'll probably get some listener mail. They're like, oh, well I'm from Tennessee and it's a very common <laughs> colloquialism. <laughs> He's my dude in that movie, though. Yeah. Uh, King. Oh, he's and, so and good. The, uh, well, now we're just going to talk about Platoon. I could have done it. I considered it. The, uh, the the scene with the heads is just one of my favorite like sequences in any movie. Oh, God, yeah. When they're in there in that bunker smoking weed yeah. and dancing to Tracks of My Tears. Yeah, and that's right. I remember when I was younger, too, being so shocked that when the shows that shot of Willem Dafoe in there, in uh-huh. the corner, I was like, wow, the sergeant's in there. Yeah. It kind of surprised me. The worm has definitely turned for you now. <laughs> well, and every time we smoked pot in college, we kind of recited that. Put your mouth on this. <laughs> Put your mouth on this. He was such a, uh, cr- well, there was a creepy benevolence to him. Yeah, no kidding. There was so, God, I could talk forever. But yeah. his whole scene when he's getting shot. <sighs> and uh, because I'm such of like, a, a fan of not fan, but I've been fascinated by squibs in movies, the blood packs that go yeah. off. There's a famous story about that too, where they had all these cameras and it was all wide shots and close ups, and his whole scene was a big one take thing, and all the explosions and yeah. squibs were going off in the ground, and he was wired with squibs, but they didn't work on him. Uh-huh. And you can see in the movie that he's he's clapping his hand uh-huh. and pressing the Trying button to activate the squibs. They're not working, and then later the wires are. He's let go of the wires at one point. Just uh-huh. going fuck it and. Pure professional, stays with it, getting shot, no squibs going off. Yeah. And Oliver Stone has said that, like, I liked it better that way because it was more um, representative. It's not literal. And it's clearly just justifying that the right. effects didn't work. And we only had one shot. Exactly. Yeah. Man, Something that, to watch out a... for when you get to that point. You'll see the wire hanging off his arm. Yeah. I'll, I'll, well, I'll get to that later today because I haven't gotten that far yet. But I, um, another big thing I love about movies is seeing the, uh, the the poster shot from the the set yeah. photographer yeah and of course it was from that that shot right yeah and, and when you see it on the poster and then you see it later in the film it like comes alive and I've always kind of been a big fan of that yeah me too yeah and movie posters today just are no good Ugh. for the most part yeah I know I don't know when that switch happened of let's just put ten faces right in a row just all dumbed down. Yeah, it really kind of started with those horror movies in the 90s when they all adhered to that same kind of like yeah, final I feel like destination. Scream, had scream that. yeah. Scream, yeah. Yeah. 
because you had to get Drew Barrymore's face on there. Right. So people knew. I know. I know. All right. Well, let's start talking Bond. Okay. That's why I'm um, here. We'll, we'll talk Bond generally, and then we'll get into Cas- uh, Casino Royale. Um, but where did, where did you start? Tell me about your journey, your Bond journey. <laughs> My walk? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I think mine started in much the same way that most people's Bond, especially of our generation, and that is with your father, you know? Okay. And, uh, Except I, for me, but yeah. No? Okay. <laughs> it's pretty common that people come on our podcast, James Bonding, and they say, my dad introduced me to Bond. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't rem- – so much so that I don't remember when or how. It was mm-hmm. just always there because the, obviously the franchise existed well before I did. And, yeah. Um, we would watch – we would either rent them or watch them on ABC on Friday nights. They they owned the rights for a while. And mm-hmm. then I re- – distinctly remember going to the theater in 83 to see Octopussy with him. It was the first one I saw in the theater. I'm looking at the list now and that may, oh no, no, no. Well, it's hard to remember theater or not because Moonraker is the first one that really I super remember uh-huh. um, because it was so advanced and futuristic. And very, <laughs> very much an answer to Star Wars. Very much. Yeah. So I think I probably saw that one in the theater. Um but Octopussy, you know, I was 12, so that was the first one where I, you know, was sort of getting it a little more. Yeah. And the hormones were fully flowing at that point. The name alone. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Cross-mounted octopus. <laughs> <laughs> Down by the river. Um, so from there... Yeah, from there, it was just um, my parents had separated, but they had a very amicable divorce, and my dad lived very close, so I would go up there two, three times a week to mm-hmm. see him. And, you know, that was often, that became kind of quality time. When my dad was home, mm-hmm. we all had a good relationship, but he was kind of late home from work and tired. And so now when I'd go over there, it was time to be spent together. And yeah. so we'd either watch Three's Company on oh, Tuesdays, yeah. but like on the weekends, <laughs> we'd go to the video store, probably get a couple Bond films. Uh-huh. And then he always wanted to get a ski film. So sometimes that a was a bond. snow skiing movie? Yes, he was a big skier. So we'd, oh. we'd often get the skiing bonds, but he'd also want to get some other random like- Hot dog? Yes, <laughs> exactly that. And which talk about a education for a young man yeah, in terms yeah. of the uh, the wonders of Yeah, that was <laughs> of one of love. the great 80s skin flicks. Well, skin flick. Yeah, and that was, we just watched that in the house. You know, I was probably, I don't know, 10. You yeah, know? and that's great. Uh, yeah, I learned a lot. Covering a lot of, of birds with one stone with that that's one. That's exactly right. Did yeah. you have siblings? Yes, and uh, I have an older sister, but also around that time, my dad started dating the woman he would marry, and uh-huh. I, I gained a stepbrother who was very close to my age, too, so we would watch those movies and kind of look at each other like, oh, right. well, can you believe we're getting away with this? <laughs> yeah, Hot Dog and... Uh, what were some of the other ones? I feel like there was a run on yeah, well, sort of boob movies right. that had skiing. Yeah, I'm trying to backdrop. remember what some of them are. Hot. <laughs> is there, I'm just thinking of Hot Dog, but I don't know. But he also loved those Warren Miller ski films too. But it was kind of like our compromise of let's rent a Bond movie with skiing in it so we don't have to get one of these actual ski documentaries because right. those would kind of bore us a little bit. Oh, he would, get, he would go deep. He huh? wanted to go deep, yeah. <laughs> Did he have an I'd rather be skiing bumper sticker? <laughs> <laughs> I'm positive he did. He probably didn't put it on his company car. You're right. But I guarantee you he did. Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. 
he never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join yeah. us. If you want. Obviously, we'd never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy. But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. What was uh, what was the the Bond one that had the great ski opening? Oh, there's the um, spy who loved me with the parachute off the glacier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's that what one's I'm good. Of. And then the the great ski ones are for your eyes only, and then especially on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I remember. That's the only one with George Lazenby, right? And remember not knowing that as a kid and renting that movie because it had skiing on the cover and getting. Halfway through the movie, not real, like going, where's James Bond? Yeah. James Bond's already in the movie, well into this movie, but not knowing Lazenby was Bond thinking like, is this a spy? Like, when are we going to see Connery? Where, right. where is this? It, well, yeah, because back then it wasn't, uh, especially as a kid, it was far less media and information. Yeah. And then as a kid, you had virtually nothing. Yeah. And, that, and if anything, that was kind of like the forgotten redheaded stepchild that kind of buried any talk about that. and. Yeah, what was the deal with Lazenby? I mean, and that was a good movie. Yeah, and it, and he it is coming Bond. around in the esteem of Bond fans, or it already has, to be one of the best Bond films. Yeah. And it was not at the time. People just weren't ready for it. It's also way ahead of its time in terms of editing and freneticism and uh-huh. and that kind of directing style. So it just wasn't pr- appreciated. And we've talked about this on James Bonding, but I go out on a limb sometimes and say that Quantum of Solace will I think, take that same trajectory. Really? Yeah, I think it's better than people will remember. I mean, it's coming on the heels of Casino Royale, which is tough. Yeah. But it's in its own right, especially when you watch them back to back, is a really interesting film. And it definitely suffered from the writer's strike and mm. all that sort of oh, thing. Oh, right, yeah. But I always say that that film is worth a second watch, you know, a recent watch. Well, this has uh, reignited my passion to go back and dig into these again yeah because i've seen mo- all i mean i think i've seen them all now that i'm looking at the list but many of them quite a few times each uh but i need to go back and dig into the conneries a little bit more mm-hmm. um because I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen them as a proper adult i don't think yeah god how long are you in town it'd be nice to have you on james <laughs> bonding <laughs> uh, uh when are you guys recording uh it's up in the air but we're not this week. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I'll be back though. Okay, good. I would love to be on. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about the, the Sean Connery. Like, did you go back and forth with dad? Yeah. Through all the years. We, we never had any sense of chronology. It was always just like, what looks good this weekend? Right. So I think I was, as a kid, I was definitely aware that Connery, cause my dad would say like Connery's the classic bond. Yeah. Know? So I, I knew he was the first in terms of the original franchise. And then I knew Roger Moore was, the current era. Yeah. And I knew, you know, so both had their allure, the classic and the contemporary. Right. And their different styles. So because I grew up in a Roger Moore era, I'm one of those special people that really likes Roger Moore. A lot of people that didn't have him. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man. I think there's, there's probably some scientific formula 
one could devise about the bond that was the bond when you were 12. It has to be because I am not <laughs> a Brosnan fan. Ingrained. I'm not the biggest Pierce Brosnan fan either. And the people of that, the millennials for the most part, yeah. love them. Yeah. And I totally understand that. Yeah. And objectively looking at the bonds, um, you know, Roger Moore, let's talk about Roger Moore. Okay. I'll talk all day. <laughs> he died on my birthday last year oh, on no. my honeymoon. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And That's I terrible. love him dearly. I love him as a man, as a bond. I almost you know? feel like that was meant to happen that way. <laughs> I, I think so. You had a, uh, a connection. I, I hope so, because I, I adore that man. He was a saint. I mean, no pun intended. Yeah, sure. I really didn't mean the that. saint. I know. <laughs> and uh, I just, he did such great charity work. He had such a good nature. He never took it too seriously. Yeah. He was so self-deprecating. And the, like in a dark sense, you know, where Connery was even, you know, involved about bouts of domestic violence. Right. So was Roger Moore, but on the receiving end. Oh, really? So it just tells you a lot about these two men. and Roger Moore's wife. Yeah. Was beat him up? Hit him. Really? Threw things at him or something like that. Yeah. Wow. But it, it, that in itself is kind of shows you in a way how they approach their bonds. Cause mm -hmm. in, in Moore's early bonds, they forced a lot of Connery style stuff where he would be kind of, um, he would mistreat women and uh, yeah. flat out assault them at times. Yeah. And he was instrumental in sort of saying like, I don't think this is my bond, you know, like mm -hmm. let's, let's step away from that. And by his later bonds, that stuff's pretty much gone. Did you read the books? Yes. Yeah. Okay. In fact, that's part of what will bring me to Casino Royale and why that movie is so special to me is reading those books too. Put a pin in that. Yeah. Um, but the books, did the, did the character, because I've never read any of the books, and Stuff You Should Know did a, a Bond show years ago, mm -hmm. but a lot of that has escaped my memory. Yeah. Um, just because that's how life works. When Do you, you ever listen to your own podcast to get back up to speed? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. I could see where that would come in handy, though. Yeah. I, I have. Mean, it's kind of one in, one out at yeah. this point with, with topics, mm -hmm. but- I mean, there are shows I fully forgot that we recorded. Yeah, I'll bet. you've many done so shows. many. Yeah, um, but uh, what was the characterization in the book? Was he violent? Yes, against very. women and just sort um, of brutish. He, you know, I I can't recall any actual violence against like physical violence, but he is not a, a good man. And he is not written necessarily to be a good man. It's not even that kind of like Connery's Bond. It has really problematic, yeah. but it's also presented as this is fine. The Fleming novels are incredibly problematic, especially in terms of misogyny right. and r racism, uh -huh. but not to justify it in any way. He's also presented as a deeply flawed man and right. not as a model. Oh, uh, okay. Well, he, sure. He's self, his character alone is, um, knows that he's not a good man. Yeah. You know, he's deeply flawed. Um, but kind of, I don't know if he's content to be that way or uh -huh. what. It seems like it a little bit. So I do find that interesting in the books that he's sort of a, he's strangely simple and complicated at the same time. Uh -huh. And um, it's something that the movies have only touched on in, really in the Craig era, but a little bit with Dalton's first film. Right. And tiny bit with Lazenby as well, where he's not a superhero. He's kind of a, a dark person that, you know, there's a reason that they exist in the shadows and this mm -hmm. is a peek behind that curtain because it's not meant to be something to idolize. Right. Yeah. Were you reading all the books as a kid? 
I read one or two as a kid, but more so I was into the action element of the movies. And so it wasn't until about um, 10 or 12 years ago that I really sat down. Mm -hmm. I I sat down one once winter and spring and said, I was going through a particularly tough time and I thought, I'm going to read every Shakespeare play because I love Shakespeare. Yeah. Quickly gave way to watching every James Bond movie. (laughs) (laughs) And then I thought, I'm going to read, I'm going to at least- I'd like to have seen that day, literally that moment where you were like, measure for measure, fuck it. (laughs) Coffee table. DVD. <laughs> That's what it was. Because not to go too into detail, I've talked about this before on James Bonding, but it was a, it was, I was just really going through a bad breakup, and I had this situation, this wild situation where I could take a month off work, mm-hmm. and I said, I, I, I'm either going to have a nervous breakdown or I'm going to do 30 days of whatever I feel like when I wake up, and yeah. you know, if that's ever possible, I highly recommend it. So I would wake up late. I would walk to this bar by the ocean. In Long Beach, I would, this is horrible, but I would get a corned beef sandwich, a deep fried Snickers bar and ice cream and a Guinness, do the crossword puzzle and read a Fleming book, then go home and watch a Bond movie day after day after day. I knew I could not live like that. That's so great. And the crazy thing, the only other, um, the only other obligation I was keeping up was going to the gym. So I thought I had to counteract this poison I was putting in my body. That's good. But I read every Fleming book that year. Uh Uh-huh. And then watched every Bond film. And um, I, as as tough as that time was, I do look back on it very fondly. Sure. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's Life crazy. Riley. It was a strange, like, seven years in Tibet yeah. thing or something. I've never seen that movie, but that's what I imagine it is. <laughs> I haven't seen it either, actually. Um, all right. So back to Roger Moore. Yeah. He, uh, the, the dude that we grew up with. So we were... Um, my indoctrination was, you know, karate chop. Yeah. And... You know, he his I look on it very fondly now, but looking back, like his uh athleticism <laughs> yes. and and prowess was limited. Yeah, he's a bit of a dandy, and I say that in like with full admiration. Yeah. Yeah. But it worked though. <laughs> mm-hmm. I never doubted for a second yeah. that he was James Bond and that he could kick all the ass that he needed to in his own, you know, right boppish way. Even into View to a Kill where he's fifty seven. Is he really? He's 57. And he's. That explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just full on fighting, you know, really tough dudes. And it's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. View to a kill. I know you said you, that would have been your second pick as far as just sort of a fun one to talk yeah, about. Yeah. Because it's, you know, one that people regard as one of the worst. But I find some of the worst Bond films to be some of the best. It's the middle of the road ones that I really can't get into. Like what? Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies. It's okay, Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan's second one. Right. It's my least favorite one solely because it commits the sin of just normalcy. Like it's a very formulaic. A lot of people take issue with this, and I fully understand. That's the lovely thing about Bond is, uh-huh. you know, everybody's opinions are 100% valid on yeah. it because there's so many to pick from. So I would never try to convince anybody else that sure. this isn't a good Bond film. But for me, it is not. It's boring and melodramatic in the bad way. And I, you know, I don't love it. Yeah. I mean, Pierce Brosnan for me, <clears throat> it was the sort of the obvious way to go. I think, what, didn't he originally almost play him? Yes, he did. He was cast and then his Remington Steel TV contract right. took him back in the 11th hour. And so that's why Dalton ended up in it. Right. So they eventually went back to him. And when I'm looking at the list here, Goldeneye, 
I mainly remember because I played the the N sixty four game. Most people's experience, yeah. But yeah. that movie's pretty pretty decent. I remember it being okay. Yeah, but I don't I don't have like solid memories of, and I remember sort of enjoying them. But I'm looking at the other ones. World is not enough. Die another day. None of them stand out to me now. Yeah, in my mind. Yeah, and people can't wrap their heads around this most of the time. But Die Another Day may be my favorite of the Brosnan movies because it is dumb as shit. It is crazy. It is stupid. But like View to a Kill, at least there's something to latch onto there. You what know? was the plot? In, oh uh, God, uh, Bond is captured in North Korea for years and then traded for a spy who's got diamonds in his face from an explosion. But that oh, right, this other the guy who captured him is a North Korean general who's using DNA replacement therapy to change himself into a white British man. And then Halle Berry's in there, right? Yeah, that's the and they they were going to do a spinoff movie. That's right for, for a little Jinx. while, right? And this is the one with the invisible car as well. So it's oh, a lot of shark right. jumping in this one. Yeah. Well, I think in like, I don't want to get into Casino Royale just yet, but I think that's one of the things I did love about it was uh, the simplicity mm-hmm. of the plot. Yeah, it was very just uh, very straightforward. Yeah, straight. And from a lot the book. of it is about the card game. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. But back to Roger Moore okay. before we move on, because we also have to talk about Timothy Dalton for a minute. Okay. But um, Moonraker for me was my first big one, like I said, uh, because it just, and looking back on that, it does not age well. No, but I love it for that reason. Futuristic love thing, it. but it seems so advanced to me yeah. at the time as yeah. a kid. And it was a huge hit. That oh, was yeah. the biggest one. I want to say up until die, die Another Day, maybe? Like it was a huge hit for a long time. That yeah. was the one to beat. Yeah, it it was the one for me for sure, and um, Jaws, of course, yeah. was one of like I feel like the villains obviously are just as important in all these films, and it's hard to uh, it's hard to beat. I feel like there used to be a villain and then a great secondary villain too. Yeah, in most of these, yeah, typically a henchman of some kind. But do you mean another villain? No, no, no. Type? Like the henchman. Yeah. Like Jaws was the henchman yeah. for uh, who was? I don't even remember the main baddie in Moonraker now. Hugo Drax. Okay, Michael Lonsdale. Hugo Drax. I'm actually going to look. <laughs> He's that up. super dry. He's. I love him in the movie. Hugo Drax. Oh, sure. He looks like. Uh, Peter Dinklage a bit. Yes, that's <laughs> people have said that before. He does. He's like Dinklage. Uh, okay, I remember him now. I'm looking at him in his futuristic spacesuit. Yeah. Um, but then, for your eyes only, an octopusy, uh, to me came in the theater. But then I also went back mm-hmm. and discovered, you know, the truly great Roger Moore movies: To Live and Let Die, Spy Who Loved Me. I really, love really great movie. It's one of my favorite Bond yeah, films. Yeah, me too. I don't know what it is. It's such an oddity. It's really just a black exploitation film wrapped around a James Bond movie. It is. Yeah. I think that's why I like it. Yeah. And the setting was so cool and yeah. different. And George Martin did the score. So it, oh, really? You know, with Paul McCartney doing the theme song. Yeah. It's kind of a strange Beatles influence on yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Which is, yeah. that makes everything better. Yeah. And <laughs> Yafet Koto's the villain. And there's yeah. a ton of henchmen in that movie, too. There's a whole gaggle of them. Yeah. So and good. it just had that, um, for a Bond movie, like to d- dabble into like, I remember it was like voodoo. Yeah, and, the occult and voodoo. Yeah. yeah, it was very cool. It's, as far as I know, it's the only Bond movie that actually has a supernatural bent to it because they kill a character, Baron Samity, who in the end of the, the last shot of the movie is riding on the front of the train laughing like he never dies, you know? And so <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really something. 
Uh, Spy Who Loved Me, great. Um, For Your Eyes Only, great. Octopussy doesn't hold up as well for me now. I saw it not too, like, within the last five or so years. Yeah. Um, Fabergé egg, uh-huh. right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think it's because it's my first in the theater, that, and it was also on cable a ton. Same with View to a Kill. Yeah. Those two movies are just in my DNA at this point. My child, when they're born, will start speaking languages and go, why do I know about Fabergé eggs right. and, like, <laughs> and yo-yo saw blades? I've never even seen this movie. Oh, that's good. Um, man, I can't believe he's 57 in Vito Kill. I know. Isn't that something? He was 45 when he started. He's oh, two yeah. years older than Connery. Not when he started. Just, when he ended? Just as men. Yeah. So, oh, oh. Yeah. So Connery in Diamonds Are Forever, his last Bond film. Uh-huh. I forget how old he is, but when, when Live and Let Die came out or shot, Moore was 45. I think Connery was 43. But Connery looks a good 10 years older than him. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So he started when he was how old? 45, Roger Moore. That is a really interesting choice there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That does explain a lot, though. And if you do a kill, it's just bonkers. It's crazy. I mean, Christopher Walken. And, yeah. Uh, Grace Jones. Yeah. Oh, it was so great. Good. So One of the better um, theme songs, though, I yeah, think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the Duran Duran song. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that, um, well, I'll hold that for, for Casino Royale. But- Dalton, the Dalton year. Two. Yeah. Well, two films. Which is what? License to Kill and... Living Daylights. Right. What do you think of those? I I like them for the most part, um, especially considering what they were trying to do. Living Daylights is pretty good. It, it sort of feels like trying to get back to reality and be mm-hmm. a little more Fleming, but they never fully commit. So right. it has some of the problems that the Brosnans do where they're like, I want to have this kind of campy, jokey thing, but then I expect you to take me really seriously when the time comes, right. and it doesn't quite work. It's hard to sort of live in both of those worlds. Yeah, and I think that's why the Moore and the Craig eras are probably my favorite, because they really understand what they are, and they commit the most to going to each extreme, I think. You know? Yeah. Dear Young Rocker is more than just a podcast about music. It's a memoir of how it feels to survive high school when you don't fit in and the freeing feeling of picking up a guitar for the first time. It's also advice for anyone who is or was young and has ever felt weird or alone. One Dear Young Rocker fan wrote to say, I truly wish I could teleport back to 2000 and give my younger self this podcast and write, Your cellulite is just as punk as Johnny Ramone's weird face on my wall. Another said, Thank you for sharing your story and letting my daughter know she's not alone and that it will all be okay. The AV Club's Podmass says about DYR, this podcast exploring the relationship between gender, rage, and the power of music is like an unearthed time capsule containing a forgotten strain of teendom. Dear Young Rocker is written and narrated by me, Chelsea Erson, executive produced by Jake Brennan, and comes to you from Double Elvis Productions. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's start talking Casino Royale then. Okay. Because um, I... I Remember being knocked out when I saw it in the theater, but I don't know that I had seen it since until uh, two days ago when I oh, watched wow. it, or actually yesterday. God, actually. I'm envious. And uh, I know it was like rediscovering it all over again. And 
they really did the smartest thing they could have possibly done with a, uh, a, a reboot, I guess. Or, you know, it's not a reboot. It's Bond. Continuing. It really is, though. But you're, but I mean, they you're did. right. They, yeah. they started fresh uh-huh. with um, Bond in his early career, getting his double O status, and really kind of threw out. I imagine a lot of the, the hardcore fans were upset about some stuff. They they were prior to the movie. There was a whole, I'm sure you've probably heard of this. There was a whole Craig Not Bond website. Yeah. Like, you can't have a, a blonde Bond. And yeah. I had seen Munich a bit before where Daniel Craig's in it. Mm-hmm. And the minute I saw that, I was like, no, this guy's going to be amazing. Yeah. He's going to be great. And and I, I proud to say I was on the right side of history from the <laughs> beginning. Because <laughs> all those people were eating crow. You're like, I voted for Donald Trump, but I got Craig right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I got Trump right too. Um, but like, you know, no money penny, no Q, right. no Bond theme uh, until, until the, the end. end. Yeah. So that's some ballsy stuff. There, You're right. Yeah. To and throw all that stuff out temporarily, at least. Yeah. And they, the, the production company, Eon Films, that did all of these, mm-hmm. didn't have the rights to Casino Royale for years. So that's why you never saw it as a film. Right. Because um, it was Fleming's first book. He had sold it off to someone else separate from the rest of the books. Uh-huh. And they finally got it back. And um, the books don't really feature Money Penny or Q. They're just not. Like they oh, really? are in the movie. So that was sort of a movie thing. Yeah, they're in there. Well, Money Penny is, um, and uh, but it's just became a trope throughout the film. Right. That that um, Casino Royale was really about getting back to the book. Right. And so the book, though it's interesting, the book itself is just really the poker tournament mm-hmm. and the ending um, with the and the torture, but the beginning and the ending of the movie are not really in the book. Right. But they did a good job of tacking on the first act of that film is just out of thin air, and it really kind of fits in there. Yeah, and it, I mean, it seemed like the, it seemed like there was nowhere else, there was no other decision but this one, um, where the franchise was. Yeah, you couldn't just. It felt like a time when we were getting a little more savvy as filmgoers, where you couldn't trot out another nod and a wink Bond, mm-hmm. and you, I think. The Bourne movie had come out already, exactly, which yeah. established a little bit more. Like I remember saying at the time, like, "Man, this is what James Bond should do." Right? It's like be a real ass kicker. Yeah, that's in the real world, and the things are pretty much believable. Yeah. Still, way over the top with the action sequences, but you can kind of almost buy everything in this right. movie. Yeah, the Bond franchise has always done two things, typically anyway, and that is. Go create, go like spend four films getting to the craziest point and then self correcting right. four or five. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. So, like, if you look at Connery's, you know, those last films are crazy, uh-huh. then it gets real serious with Honor Majesty's Secret Service, then into Roger Moore, you get to View to a Kill, right? Or actually, you get to Moonraker, which is bonkers, then it goes to For Your Eyes Only, which is really scaled down, yeah. And then Dalton starts seriously, Golden Eye starts pretty seriously, Die Another Day is crazy. And then it goes back to the most serious Casino Royale. Yeah. But also the franchise has always taken whatever is hot at the time mm-hmm. and worked it in somehow. So usually it's something that's worked into the plot, like Kung Fu into A Man with a Golden Gun or Black Exploitation and Live and Let Die. Right. Star Wars into Moonraker. Yeah, yeah. In this case, it was the Bourne films uh-huh. into Bond. And also the reboot of Batman Begins, I think, had a lot to do with this as well. Oh, interesting. Those films, the Nolan films and the the Craig era, really share a lot of back and forth because, you know, I think you're taking a lot from what the Dark Knight did in Skyfall 
Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Nolan took a lot of stuff from Bond, like the in Inception, that whole snow base at the end is straight out yeah. of Honor Majesty's Secret Service in Dark Knight Rises when they capture the plane and turn it upside down and uh-huh. drag it along is straight from License to Kill. And oh, wow. It's interesting give and take, and it doesn't huh. seem like thievery. It just feels like two franchises paying homage to each other or saying like, I like what you did there. wonder I mean, if Nolan will ever get in the director's chair. He's it's been he's talked with them about it and he's really? expressed his interest yeah he wanted that would be interesting tom hardy as bond at one point apparently yeah i've, yeah. I've heard the calls for that yeah. i mean he would certainly be a great bond yeah but i feel like he's kind of doing that stuff a lot yeah lately yeah and you kind of have to start him young these days if yeah. you want him to go for a while yeah well because craig was a, a bit older right he was i think he was 38 maybe when he started yeah yeah mm, that kind of fits though although he is starting out his career Mm-hmm. As a double O at that age, is that realistic? I God, I don't know, but yeah, you don't want a Bond that's too young to seem too. You no. got to. He's got to. Can't have, have some, a Bond in his twenties. He's got to be weathered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There needs to be a bit of gravitas going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one opens up with that. I mean, I feel like it was a message of like this is not, you, you know, your dad's Bond, right? With that just brutal black and white sequence. <sighs> yeah, it's so violent. And real and visceral. It's just like, it was fucking awesome. I know. And I, <laughs> this movie came out in that month when I was doing my, or that oh, year. The fried but snicker I, month? Yes, that's right. <laughs> and I remember being, anticipating it so much because I'd read the book and liking the trailers I was seeing. And then I sat down in the theater that opening night and that opening sequence with the black and white. And yeah. I was just like, oh, I've arrived. Yeah. <laughs> it's so rare in a movie where you actually feel like this movie is so good already that I don't even know what to do. Like, right. I'm, I was already like, when am I going to see this again? Yeah. Like five minutes kept, into it. I know. And it kept <laughs> delivering. And then you get to the title sequence and it's not a bunch of naked girl silhouettes, which was yeah. another turn. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So it was really taking some risks. Yeah. It was a big deal. It was, it was clearly a message, a, a very intentional message. Like, here's what we're doing is we're starting over literally and yeah. metaphorically. We're, we're, he's at the beginning of his career. It's going to be much more grounded in reality. We're going to have a bond that feels pain and shows some emotion mm-hmm. and isn't winking at the camera and isn't, I mean, this movie certainly has some, some romance, but it's not the bond that's just sleeping his way through, right. you know, Europe. Um, And that was kind of the, the smartest thing they could have ever done was exactly what they did. I know. And the humor is, I, People find the movie to be a little humorless. I don't. I find the humor to be appropriate. Where and was the humor? Give me a joke. Well, okay. <laughs> I feel like I remember a couple of things. Yeah. Um, well, like when M is on the beach after Solange is dead in the hammock. Oh, and right. Like something about emotion, but that's not really a problem with you. And he just goes, no. Yeah. You know? Right. Or um, the Vesper and he have some humor, the little Swiss accountant that comes with the suitcase. Right. Um Oh, the, the the best humor of all is when he's being tortured and going, you know, oh, like, yeah. I have a little itch. Can you scratch? It all feels very character based for me. Yeah. Like, like I think I had that problem with The Last Jedi. I did not find the, the humor was too winky and too dependent on the audience knowing yeah. tropes of the time where you look at Empire Strikes Back and it's all humor coming from one character to another. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of the one-liners in Bond. I like them in the Moore era, but- 
that's what I loved was I didn't miss those in this movie. Mm -hmm. I thought the humor was situational and really worked for me. Yeah. I know it's a pretty dark film. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Um, which was good though. Since tried to really work that back in for Craig. And I don't, I don't think that's his forte. I think he should be sticking to this Casino Royale type stuff. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so the song I actually like a lot. I I mean, they're sort of, I think we're in an era now with music where I don't know if we're going to get any more like iconic Bond songs. But when I was listening to that, I was a big Soundgarden fan. It's like, Hey, this is actually a pretty good song. Yeah. Um, Chris, what was it called? You Know My Name. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good song. I love it. A lot of people have problems with it. I don't. I think it's perfect for this movie. Too. Yeah. Just the lyric passage alone, of, uh-huh. you know my name. It doesn't matter who I am. You know who I am. You know? Yeah. And that became the score yes. throughout the film. Which is my favorite thing in a Bond movie, when yeah. the composer has something to do with the theme song and that those are woven together. Yeah. And it's something that they've given up in the... in. Oh, they haven't done it in quite a while until this film. And then David Arnold composed the first two Craigs. And then it's been um, Thomas uh, Newman, Thomas Newman. And he doesn't really do it. He got a little of Skyfall in there, but because those- I think you mean Randy Newman. Randy- <laughs> <laughs> Just a double O everywhere I go. That's not even his song. What I know, it? but it's totally, it totally worked. I'm with you. Uh, so then, you know, the other thing, you have that great black and white sequence right out of the gate. And then, you know, Bond films are known for their first big action sequence. Yeah. And this one, the parkour chase is bonkers. It's, it's the best action sequence in my, my eyes ever. I I agree, man. It's bananas because they, and I don't think I realized it until they saw it again. They start on the ground and, uh, eventually scale all the way up to the top of this construction site uh-huh. and then all the way back down yeah. for no other reason than to like, all right, here's what we got to do. Every time I watch this, I'm blown away by new things. First of all, the direction is not at all flashy, but it is so crisp and clean and you always know exactly where you yeah. are. And somehow this thing that is pure action entertainment also manages to fully develop his character within the space of going up a building yeah. and down. When when the parkour guy is all elegantly leapfrogging through little holes, uh-huh. he's bursting through drywall. Just, yeah, I love that part. Oh, he's brutally. improvising. And well, he knows he can't. He sees from that, that very, very beginning with that very first fence jump, he knows he's outmatched yeah. um, athletically by this guy. Yeah. By this, this, you know. And I think this was the first time maybe I'd seen parkour like that. Yeah, me too. And I was just like, holy shit, I what know. is this guy doing? I know. <laughs> it's amazing. He's like a gazelle. Yeah. And, and that's usually something that's reserved for the hero to be the the specialist. Yeah. And it's rare that your hero is the, like he says himself, a blunt instrument. You know, he's yeah, just that's like, a great line. don't think, don't look back, just keep moving. And it's the same thing whenever he has keys or cell phones, he just tosses them. He doesn't look back. He's, yeah. he's a psychopath in this movie. He yeah. really is. And uh, it's... It's such an interesting take on Bond that was so refreshing. And that was another moment where I'm like, what? Yeah. It was actually the moment that crystallized for me in the theaters when they're on top of the crane, which the stunt work on that is mind-blowing. Yeah. And it's all real. And the uh, bomber, Malaka, tries to shoot him. He's out of bullets, throws the gun at him. And and, and Craig just catches it. (laughs) So badass. And then I learned recently. And he throws it back at him. Yeah. He he throws it back at him. There's something I learned recently- that they, they had in that little scene that they cut, which was brilliant. And now I can't remember what it was. Ah, damn. Oh, well. Well, the, um, the other thing, too, that 
which is very early in this movie in that chase scene where you see Bond just in that one little shot shake it off where he falls and he's just like yeah. he literally does a <laughs> yeah. and that's the first I think that's the first time in any Bond movie I'd seen mm-hmm. him acknowledge like damn yeah. this is this is tough yeah and his scars remain with him through halfway through the film yeah his, yeah his cuts and bruises yeah so uh, I mean just and is there anything more Bond than like facing off 30 guys with machine guns and winning. Yeah. And somehow still feeling relatively believable. Yeah. Cause they yeah. end up at the embassy and uh, it's just such a great scene. And, and throughout the, the chase is there's always, you always see that moment where the guy's just doing his jackrabbit thing and bond like takes a second to be like, fuck man, I don't, I got to, but can I? Yeah. Like you see him contemplating oh, like, yeah. I might die if yeah. I try this thing, yeah. but I have to. Yeah. It's just like that, yeah. It, it, to him, it's like winning is more important than analyzing a situation. Well, well that's a, a lot theme of in the movie. Yeah, yeah a lot sure. of ego. Exactly right. Yeah, he's a flawed egomaniac. Yeah, and that's very Fleming. You know, he's, oh really? He just he can't lose to these villains. Like he just he just he despises them, and he losing yeah. to them means like it's more important to win, beat them, than to really complete the mission for king or country you know, right or queen or country i guess it would have been yeah 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 for sure i think there's a like a little scorecard that he's keeping yeah uh in his brain it's not like yeah one for god save the queen right We're like i beat this guy yes at yeah. this game yeah uh and then we meet our um our villain in this which is uh what's his name mads milkison mads mickelson mickelson yeah. who is a great bond villain yeah he's got the face he cries blood, yes. which is a great thing to just throw in there. That is interesting. That's from the movie. The um, inhaler is from the book. Oh, really? Yeah. So he kind of has two interesting They had quirks. asthma inhalers back then? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> That's I know. crazy. That's, yeah, it's in there. Yeah, Yeah, because that gave him a slight flaw. Uh-huh. Um, and then, of course, allowed Bond to put a, uh, was that like a tracker in there? Yeah. And he, he was a villain, I think, people underrated at first, probably because they didn't know who the actor was. Mm-hmm. It was originally going to be um, Bruno Ganz. Do you remember him? He played yeah. Hitler in that movie, The Last Days, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because in the book, also, Le Chiffre is kind of like a bigger, uh, more, more like a Goldfinger. Oh, okay. Yeah. But they went kind of sleek. And I love Mads Mikkelsen in this. He's so understated and so he is. good. Their scene, the torture scene, <sighs> the acting in that scene. We'll get to it. But Yeah. Oh, um, man, but I the gotta... plot of this is just, like I said before, so clean. Yeah. And it's you know he's he's financing terrorism mm-hmm. and he it's it's all about needing money to pay a dude <laughs> yeah losing money in like this card game mm-hmm. and like it's not convoluted at all um like some of like you were talking about beauty to a kill i mean i feel like some of the movies have gotten convoluted here most and there most of them yeah to where i didn't like in the in the theater kind of like wait wait what's yeah. going on here right but uh this one's so easy to follow yeah and they just make it very clean and simple, which I appreciated. Yeah, agreed. Uh, uh, Judy Dench coming in as M, brilliant mm-hmm. casting choice. So good. So and good. I guess was that a thing with fans? Were they like, "What? You can't have a woman." Well, or was it full no. support? Well, she was M in Brosnan's era, and oh I th- wait, that's right, she so was. So she's the o- only thing that makes this continuity strange because it's the only thing that actually lends itself to continuity where this is a full reboot right she's still m 
I forgot that she was in the Bronson films. Yeah, but it's just it's just one of those suspension of disbelief things like don't worry about it. Yeah, sure. You got to just go with it. And so people try to connect it all the time and try to make sense like James Bond is a code name that is given to different operatives. Right. It's just all this – you're doing more work than you need to, I think. It, it is what it is. Yeah. But she – I think they knew that they were updating but that you can't – you can't give away Judy Dench, you know, like yeah. just throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you have Judy Dench, sure. you've got to keep her. She's amazing in these films. She she's is. She's so really good. great in this role. And she's the best thing about the Brosnan films for my money too. She yeah. plays it very real and, oh, I love her. And that's another reason I love Quantum of Solace is she's used pretty well mm-hmm. in that film too. Yeah. Obviously Skyfall too. Yeah. Boy, Skyfall was great. Yeah. Um, we, we get a quick cameo from Richard Branson, <laughs> yes. which I definitely do not remember because yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure I knew who he was back then, but <laughs> the camera even like swings it, over it's to, a weird to little, pick him up. Yeah. It looks like a pan and scan move. I, I know. I've noticed that same thing too. It's not a natural camera move, but it's No, subtle. it's, it's very strange. Yeah. And I even rewound it. I was like, wait a minute. Did I just see what I thought I saw? Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you know the story there? Was that just- I. Don't really, other than a favor. Yeah, probably just member of the British Empire, and like yeah. Bond is so steeped in the upper class, <laughs> so weird prestige of England. There's a few ca- cameos if you look in this movie. Oh, really? They're deep dives, but um, one of the women at the first poker game mm-hmm. and another woman at the second poker game are Bond, like lesser tiered Bond girls from Connery films. Really. Yeah, so there's a woman at this um, Junkanoo party in Thunderball that's um, – she has a couple lines, and uh-huh. she's at this first poker table. I think she actually – because that was shot in the Bahamas, and then these scenes were shot in the Bahamas, and I want to say that she lives in the Bahamas, right. and they used her both times. Yeah. Something like that, I forget. but Dude, your knowledge is just – Astounding. Frightening. <laughs> it's really it's, great, though. It's a waste it's of a, human space. No. No, this is exactly what I was hoping for. Uh, the tanker truck sequence, um, great. Yeah, I know. God, again, the like, it's almost Spielbergian, and it's like cause and effect kind of uh-huh. the way it's laid out and the direction of it. And Martin Campbell is an undersung director. Oh, boy. Because he did Goldeneye and uh-huh. this. He, he really got two actors started off at their best footing. Mm-hmm. And it's just so simple. You never notice the direction in this movie unless you're panning and scanning to Richard Branson. But (laughs) I somehow feel that wasn't his fault. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Forgive that a little bit. But you just don't, you know, he he does the, from my money, like aside from certain auteur directors like a Kubrick or something where you go to watch the director more than anything, Mm -hmm. your job is to make the movie work. And I'm never thinking about direction in this movie. Only like my 20th time watching this did I finally start to go, this is amazing. It's so simple. It doesn't call Attention to itself yeah. or anything, yeah. Well, which is also why, like I was just reading, I, I did not know this, but that Tarantino had wanted to direct. And I'm just like, you, yeah. can't, you can't do that. I know. You cannot I know. do that. And it'll be interesting to see what Danny Boyle does with it. That's He's the next one. And he's I love got Danny a real Boyle style. So, much. so do I. Yeah. I'm I'm optimistic about it. But he Me does too. have a real style. And yeah. when you get a flashy director in there, it doesn't always work. Die Another Day has a lot of that speed ramping in it, yeah. you know? And it's just like, also, even by that point, that was passe, and they're still putting it in, you know? Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so he he saves the uh, the plane from being uh, blown up, that great sequence. Oh, actually, here's here is was a joke, is when Bond gets the injection after just getting yeah. his ass beat through yeah. the whole movie so far and just goes, ouch. <laughs> yeah. Also, when he bests that bomber and he blows up and you just he's getting handcuffed and he kind of looks up and smiles yeah Ugh. 
Yeah, because I I didn't see that one coming actually. Um, and in fact, I think yesterday when I rewatched it, I wasn't sure how that sequence ended, mm. and I thought, "Is this guy going to get away for a second? Mm-hmm. Like I kind of forgot that I was watching a Bond movie. Yeah, I was like, "Of course he's not going to get away." Right. But I, I tricked myself into thinking, "Like, wait a minute, what happened here?" Yeah, the movie does that. Uh, and any any uh, action sequence with big trucks is always very impressive. To yes, me. yeah, like the driving of big trucks. Yeah. Well, you should check out License to Kill because there's a whole big rig sequence in that on the oh, hills yeah. of Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to go back and watch all these again. Um, and then, of course, M's line about him being emotionally attached, even though, like, I think you can kind of tell that in that scene that he feels bad about Solange. Yeah. And he hasn't developed his, um, you can call it defensiveness towards women or hatred of women until the end of this movie. And there's a reason for that. It's another thing that I love about this movie. It gives, it sets up why Bond is a, essentially a horrible misogynist. Yeah. Not to justify what he is, but he he's massively betrayed yeah. by a woman he loves. And it doesn't give him a right to do that, but it just shows how flawed he is, you know, and... um yeah, I I agree. He sees Solange in that hammock, and he's he's defending himself from his own emotions. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that I ever remember thinking like, "There's a level of depth to this character that yeah. I've never seen before." Yeah, very rarely. And Craig does that, and the script does that. And there's even some ambiguity to this film that you do not get uh-huh. in a Bond film. And that is that they don't fully explain Vesper's intentions, and you find that a little bit more in Quantum of Solace. But right. Just that you could walk away from a Bond movie talking about the plot, not in a way of like, what happened? But right. <laughs> more in like, do you think it was this or this? And yeah. it's actually interpretive in a way, which yeah. I love in a in a movie when it's intentional. Like, you know, you have like a show like Lost where it's meant right. to make you guess, but only to frustrate you. This is one of those things where I do think there's a there there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and when, when Eva Green or Ava Green, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Dealer's choice. Okay. Ava Green comes into the picture, again, breaking from the tropes and the norm. She, from the very beginning, is is equal yeah. in wit and mm-hmm. and smarts. And uh, they very much like, w- which was just a great way to go, I think. Yeah. She's um, amazing. She's my favorite Bond actress and character. Yeah. You can't even call her Bond girl. No. Because she's not. No, she's a woman. And yeah, that that's another trope that is thrown out in this series of films which is definitely for the better yeah uh and they meet up with um what's the actor's name the great uh oh giancarlo Giancarlo. giannini yeah yeah yeah. he's great and uh as their contact who of course would later betray him and this is when you get to the really sort of the the poker section of the movie and he doesn't really long though you think he betrays him but he doesn't all right well put a pin in that because i I think i need some explanation at at the ending um and I forgot to mention, we had already met Mr. White briefly yes. at the beginning. Who, whether they intended to or not, will play a major role throughout all of Craig's trajectory in three of the four films. Okay. So um, the poker section, I feel like, is is a lot of the meat of this movie. But it yeah. never feels like it slows down yeah. because they managed to work in between the games, these great sequences. Oh, it's amazing. I, that's another thing with the direction is how they made what I think is probably like close to uh, 30 to 40 minutes of poker time. Yeah. Exciting. Well, yeah. Well, they do it in two ways. There's the one break where they, um, where he ends up not saving the, the bad guy, 
but taking care of the dudes yeah, the that are trying to get the money, yeah. the terrorists. Uh, and then we get a, a very different kind of shower scene. I felt that was very purposeful. Yes. Like you've seen Bond with all these uh, shower and bedroom scenes, but now here's one where he's comforting a woman. Yeah, no sensuality, only care. Only care, but like it feels romantic. Uh-huh. Like there's an yeah. undercurrent there. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But a, but a good one. Yeah. Um, you never get the sense like any minute now. Right. Like they're going to throw their clothes off. There's a funny story about that too, where you know where he symbolically cleans her the blood off her hands by licking her fingers. Yeah, that was very sensual. Very sensual. But they shot him licking every single finger. And at, as it came out and they looked at it like, this just gets creepy. So if you look really closely, there's <laughs> yeah. a digital morph where they no way. track, they, they cut out, don't cut her fingers out. Right. Cut him going from the first to the last. Uh-huh. So they get on with it. Because I I would imagine if you watched every finger being licked like a popsicle, it would yeah, start yeah. to get a little bit like, hey, this is a shattered woman right now. <laughs> like, take it easy. Yeah. I'm curious. I'd love to hear that meeting. Like, how many fingers can you <laughs> suck on without being a creep? And you're like, okay, two. Let's land on two. Uh, so they have that sequence and then the, the, the poisoning mm-hmm. sequence interspersed through the poker and that's what really kind of breaks everything up yeah uh and that one's great man and bond almost dies i know and then vesper actually saves him with yeah. the defibrillator so she's given some agency too and yeah in the book it's they're playing baccarat they're not playing texas right. hold'em they had to update that sure i think they thought because the no audience, one knows how to play baccarat <laughs> no one does and uh i think also texas hold'em was hugely popular at the yeah. time too and it most people smart can understand it yeah uh, but he, I mean, I think that's the first, one of the first times I remember Bond <clears throat> fully being saved by someone else. Yeah. Like, or he would have died. Yeah. It happens a couple times, even once by a Bond girl in the very ending, but not quite like this. And then the humor there, when he comes around, he goes, you all right? Yeah. <laughs> it's there. The humor is there. It's just not like wacky. And I love it. And he's so smooth when he leaves, like he, he knows immediately what's happened, but he can't give himself away. So yeah. he gets the hell out of there really fast. Uh-huh. So no one sees what's going on. Yeah. And um and she's like, you know, this is this is we gotta get you to hospital. Or I think they say on the phone, yeah. go to hospital. Yeah. He's like, Okay. I can't wait to watch this again. Yeah, and he's going right back in there to yeah. finish because yeah. again, because the ego. Uh-huh. Which she calls him on at yes. some point. Yeah. And then he's brutal to her verbally, you know, saying you're bloody stupid then and she's Yeah. But then when you know the whole plot of the movie you realize she's not really calling him out for his ego. She may be, but she's doing it because she wants him to lose. Because if she, if he doesn't lose, right. he will. She will likely. He will likely be killed. Like uh-huh. other measures will have to be taken. And it's, which you don't know at that point. No. And so this movie really rewards you on a second time through, not in the sixth sense sort of way, mm-hmm. where you're just like, oh, look at that. They never really looking at each other right. or whatever. Just in that, when you know her motivation from the beginning, it's really. It holds up to a second viewing because yeah. the choices she's making work both ways. And it's fascinating how they do it. They play it pretty close to the vest, but it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. agreed. Uh, and of course, there is the one the one time they indulge a bit of a cheeky bit uh, was when he says, uh, comes back in and says, that last hand nearly killed me. Yes, yes. And that's kind of the only... Time I remember thinking like this is sort of a throwback. Uh-huh. It's a bit of a tip of the cap to these kind of corny lines. Yeah, uh, and I was fine with it. Yeah, that that if that's as far as you're going to go, you're okay because most of them are actually turns on the tropes. So like 
give me a martini. Is it shaken or certain? He goes, dude, do I look like I give a damn? So yeah. his character supersedes uh-huh. the one-liners and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, before this bond had lost, um, eventually gets, learns that Jeffrey Wright is CIA. Yeah. And he's and, so good. In this oh yeah. He's oh, great. A and, brother from Langley. <laughs> do, we, do we look like we need it? Uh, oh yeah. Looking like they, what, what, what was the line? He says something like, when they make the deal for uh-huh. CIA to fund him, he goes, one one thing, if you get him, we get to bring him in. Right. And then Bond says something about the money. And he uh-huh. goes, do we look like we need it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the United States. Yeah. And then he finances that final all-in hand. Mm-hmm. And they do a little bit of misdirection here because uh, Lashif has aces over six. And, you're, and I was thinking, even yesterday, because I forgot how it ended, I was like, well, Bond has aces over eights, mm-hmm. and that's how he's going to win. And then it turns out he has the straight flush, yeah. which I did not see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I'm sure that was pretty intentional. I guess so. You know Mark McConville, my friend Mark McConville. Yeah. yeah he's he's likes poker quite a bit. And I remember him coming out of that movie, and that was his beef. The main oh, really? takeaway from that he had movie a poker was beef? like that, that he actually – According to Mark, I've never been able to fully parse this, but according to Mark, Bond won by luck, and he didn't uh, like that. He wanted him to win by I've skill. I've outsmarted him. Yeah, and I still can't tell how it – I know how to play Texas Hold'em, but yeah, I, I, know a little I, bit, I can't but follow enough to know. Yeah, same here. And But I'm also okay, and I was a, a little bit like, you're missing the point here, Mark, and I love you, Mark, and we've <laughs> talked about this ourselves, so I'm not telling tales out of school. In fact, Are you guys okay with we'll it? We'll talk about it again. <laughs> No, but he may be right, though. That's the thing. I just don't think yeah. the filmmakers, whether they made that as a deliberate choice, are expecting you to go that far along with it. Mark is a good poker player, so he's probably watching that sort of thing like I wasn't. You know. Yeah, but maybe it was a uh, – because earlier, Bond um, – uh, Lashif won by luck. Yes. Remember? And that's when yeah. Bond figured out the tell. Right. And he was like, you know, but you lost. And he was like, yeah, but he just – he got lucky with that card. Right. So I wonder if that was just a, and then, then Bond wins sort of by drawing, I don't know. Yeah, I'm maybe. not sure myself. That's <laughs> I think deep, don't look too hard at I that. I won't, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. He won. Yeah. And Bond is so satisfied in that moment. Oh, like yeah. the ego is fully fed because yes. all he wanted to do was beat him at cards, yeah. and, which is great. And not look like a fool in front of Vesper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then we kind of um, come up on the ending when uh, they're at that, that dinner in the empty restaurant like sort of an after hours sort of thing going on there. And this is right. All of this is right out of the book. And when I saw this too, it looked exactly like I imagined. Oh, really? Book. Yeah. Yeah. So that was set up in the book that way, a big the empty dinner, restaurant? Yeah. They go to the little table and in an empty casino restaurant. And oh, I love that talk. they stayed so faithful to yeah, it. Yeah, they really do. Once the, this like second or the, the middle part of the movie is really very similar. Yeah. Well, at that scene, she, she asked him about being bothered by all the killing and again, we, he's exploring his inner self, um, and we see him as like a real man, mm-hmm. which you don't often see Bond as. So again, just sort of busting the myth, uh, or not the myth, the mythos yeah. uh, that they had set up over the years. Uh, and I think in that scene, you know, they really like bring it home. And I think she's clearly falling in love with him. Yes. Like that feels, that's totally real. And him too. And then this is another scene that if you watch it after having seen the movie, when they talk about the necklace and her mm-hmm. sort of 
you, you can tell that she's falling in love. And now for the first time, she's probably thinking, do I not go through with this thing that I'm being blackmailed into doing? Like mm-hmm. now I have two men that I love that I'm, which uh, she's probably thinking I'm in a lose-lose situation, you know? All right. So help me explain. Yeah. It's hard for even me. A little bit because okay. it did, it, it wasn't convoluted, but I just wasn't fully uh, understanding everything. So she had a yeah. former lover. Yeah. What you don't know at this point in the movie that they explain later is that she had a, she has a lover, a boyfriend named Yusef who, um, sorry, uh, quantum, which you don't know it's quantum. Right. Mr. White's people uh-huh. have taken him and- kidnapped him and are blackmailing her because she's with the treasury department mm-hmm. to throw this so Lashif can get his money. Okay. But, uh, hold on. So what you don't know is that Yusef is part of the scam. Okay. And you find this out, I can't remember if it's at the end of this movie or the next movie. So she's thinking right now, I have to, that's why she doesn't want to give Bond the second round of money. She's mm-hmm. there in the first place to do this thing she's been ordered to do by her government. So mm-hmm. she has to, but she doesn't want to give him the second amount of money because she wants Lashif to win and she'll get her boyfriend back. And yes, terrorism will have been funded, but all of this will theoretically go away. Mm-hmm. Bond is the wrench in that. And not only that, but also she falls in love. So it's a huge wrench that way. Mm-hmm. And so when they get to the torture scene, she she assures Bond's release. That's why he's not right. killed. She cuts a deal. Yeah. And then that's when she knows she's basically doomed too. She just has to get them this money yeah. and know she's going to her death. Okay. That's why she- All right. Even though he has a chance to save her, she feels so guilty. That's why she kills herself. Yeah. And that, I mean, that torture scene, that's something that we oh. had never seen as a Bond that literally exposed, Yeah, you know, naked- yeah. Tied to a chair with the, the seat bottom cut out. Yeah. Um, so he could just get his balls yes. and that abused. Is straight out of the book. Is it really? Yeah. And I think a lot of people were thinking like, they'll never put this in the movie. They'll do something different. Yeah. You know, it'll be like a computer syringe, some yeah, yeah. tech torture thing or uh-huh. something. Yeah. Yeah. No. This is medieval. Oh, I mean, even in the bowels of this ship with a thick rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a carpet beater in the book. Like a, like a, almost like what I imagine a cricket bat to be where you yeah. just would hold, or like a, I don't know if it's a wire thing or what, mm-hmm. but yeah, but there's still hole in the chair and the balls. hanging down. It's crazy, man. It's, crazy. it's brutal. Yeah. And you know, and, and, and he knows, Lashif knows that he's not going to tell. And yeah. as an audience member, you're like, there's no way mm-hmm. you can beat him to death and he will not give up that password. And something I discovered in watching it a few other times was that at some point earlier in the movie, like, M says something like, you weren't looking at the big picture. You're just mm-hmm. looking at this. And he says really under his breath, he goes, right when he, I think he knows he's either about to be beat again or when Lashif takes out the, the knife, is going to cut his balls off and put them in his mouth. Yeah. He says, big picture, big picture. Big picture. Oh, really? And he's just thinking like, don't think about your balls. Just think about <laughs> Vesper yeah. and the mission. And uh-huh. it is like that, when I saw that, I was like, God, there's always something to find in this. And yeah. he's learning, he's developing as a character. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, that that's a little gem there that you kind of have to look for. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, and then we get the, the great final sequence, which um, in Venice. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching it yesterday, it's like, how did they do this? It looks like they're actually sinking a building and 
They were. And I went back and read, of course, they, they just built all that shit. It was a miniature. It's like a six scale miniature. Yeah. And, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and they built they, a big, uh, a build, um, what do you call it? That, not a pool, but, um. Oh, you mean the inside thing? Yes. That yeah. was all a practical set on a, on a sinking gimbal. Yeah. And, but the outside stuff was like a, a one six scale miniature model that they shot outside collapsing and then put that digitally in actual Venice. It's, but it's seamless. seamless. It's, it's, that's what I love about this Bond movie, especially, is whenever they could do something practical, they did. And it really shows. Yeah. I mean, until I had looked it up this morning, I was like, I guess they got permission to destroy a building in Venice, <laughs> <laughs> which seems improbable. I know. Because uh, it looks so real. Yeah. And it is real. That's yeah. why it looks real. It's so good. Uh, and, you know, she, like you said, she sacrifices herself at the end. And, and he wants to, initially at the beginning of that sequence, I think he says, allow me to kill her because he's so upset. Yes, yeah. But it, he, 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 he's overcome and wants to save her even at the very end. Yeah. And there are little thematic echoes too, where before she, she's in, trapped in the elevator underwater and he's down there and she takes his hand. Puts it on her cheek as yeah. a sort of like, remember how you licked my fingers right. moment of don't worry. Yep. This is my, like, she's just going to do it. It's she's, brutally she's too sad. Yeah. It's not what you expect from a Bond movie. And no. I had read the book prior to this movie and I know what happens in the book. She kills herself. She takes sleeping pills. Right. I think I read that. Yeah. Because, but if I recall, I know she had done this betrayal but she hadn't betrayed bond necessarily as much she was just afraid because she was being followed by this man mm-hmm. i need to reread it i'm trying to remember but it's not quite as it's tragic that she dies but there isn't quite the um i don't know how to put it like this is the movie actually did it better mm-hmm. which in the, one of the rare cases where the movie's better than the book right even though the book is pretty interesting i need to read that book it's quick and, you know, Fleming is super easy to read because, yeah. like, it is it is not flowery prose. It's, right. you know, the man, well, the the last, the bitch is dead. Like, those right. are the sentences, <laughs> you know. That's straight from the novel. Yeah, that's a hardcore line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we finish, of course, with the, uh, by Lake Cuomo mm-hmm. and um, Mr. White again. Yeah. And Bond, Bond is right there. Yeah. Yeah. And he Great de- ending. delivers his line and he's fully formed. He's yeah. a secret agent that in his mind has been betrayed so much so by a woman that he probably won't respect them for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that will keep things easier for someone who's probably going to die young anyway, to right. not get attached. And his walls are so up. That's his thing is his walls are built so high. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good movie. Yeah. I was just blown away all over again. Oh, good. Um, all right. Well, that's Casino Royale. And we finish with two segments. Uh, what Ebert said. And then five questions. Uh, Roger Ebert gave this four stars. He could have done better. He was way down. <laughs> That's four out of four. Oh, oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Some people do the five star. <laughs> no, no, no. Thing. All right. Well four. done, Ebert. Uh, yes, Daniel Craig makes a superb Bond. Leaner, more uh, taciturn, less sex obsessed, able to be hurt in body and soul, not giving a damn if his martini is shaken or stirred. That doesn't make him the best Bond because I've long since given up playing that pointless ranking game. Okay. Connery was first to plant that flag, and that's that. But Daniel Craig is a bloody damned, as uh, bloody damn great as Bond in a movie that creates a new reality for the character. Great, yeah. So he was down. Yeah. And now five questions. Please. With Matt Gorley. Uh, first movie you remember seeing in the theater? Uh, it's Star Wars. All right. Because I know it wasn't my first movie. Bambi was, I think. Um, but 
it was the one it, it it was unforgettable and even if it's just emotion and i think because my mom and i always tell this story about me going who's the good guy who's the bad guy who's the good guy over and over and yeah. over to her and then by the time we saw empire she was doing the same thing to me i'm like no this is boba fett he's he's right. he's not a bad guy but he's a bounty hunter but he is a bad guy you know? <laughs> right. yeah but we like him yeah uh it's funny there's a generation of people who say bambi and star wars yeah wow i know <laughs> sort of a big thing <laughs> Uh, do you remember your first R-rated movie that you saw? As, oh, well. As being a big deal? Was it Hot Dog? <laughs> uh, no, it was, uh, this is a f- origin story for me, but I believe it was, if not the first, it was certainly the one I remember the most. Halloween, my babysitter oh. put out the lights and my sister and I, she made us watch it. My sister was fine with it. She's older, but it scarred me for life. No joke. Babysitters. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah, and I am morbidly fascinated with that movie. And I've seen you post. I've seen you post pictures of going by the house. Yeah, it's in Pasadena, it's right? It's in South Pasadena, and yeah. so you can go there every Halloween, and that is a huge area for trick or treating and and like haunted houses, at private houses. But that house is now like an insurance house, like insurance office, <laughs> insurance house. But you go there on Halloween, and there is always a bunch of Michael Myers's who yeah. come as a pilgrimage. But it's so That's funny great. because they'll you walk up, and at first the someone's got a boombox with the music playing, and uh-huh. it's harrowing, and then like a four foot Michael Myers will show up, right. or like a <laughs> rather larger Michael Myers, and right. you just start to see all the versions of them. Yeah, and, yeah. And then the trailer for the new one comes out Friday, which I'm oh, okay. very excited about. Yeah, I was just reading. I didn't know the trailer's coming out, but I saw a couple of production stills and. Yeah. I love David Gordon Green. Me too. Um, historically, like he's done some interesting things here and there, but uh, yeah. I was a big fan of his early career for sure. Yeah, I'm so excited to see what they're doing. I know the basic premise and I like it. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting yeah. to just sort of throw it all out and say, all right, let's just. It's kind of a Casino Royale yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, will you walk out of a bad movie? I can't think of a time that I have. Okay, because I tend to enjoy bad movies. It's, right. uh, maybe I'd walk out on a boring movie. Mm. That's the biggest sin for me. But I can't think because if you get me in a theater, I am where I want to be. Right, bad or good. Like I love movies. You've allotted that time. Yeah, and yeah. if it's it's not a waste of my time to see a bad movie because I'm at least looking at the filmmaking or something. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's one, but I don't go to as many movies anymore, so I'm probably right. pretty guarded. Yeah, I guess the. The question for me would be, would you turn one off at home mm. that you're watching for the first time that isn't good? That's rare. No, probably right. not. <laughs> That's good. I love it. I like to see things through. Uh, number four, I usually try and tailor to the guests. So I'm going to ask you, what Bond and movie would you want to have been? If you could have been any of the Bonds in any of the movies, which one is like... That's my guy. It's crazy. My first instinct is to say Casino Royale, but that would be a miserable (laughs) beginning and middle and end. Yeah. So for just fun's sake, oh, man. Oh, my God. This is not going to be easy. It's also hard because as a man, you're thinking, well, I get to sleep with Ursula Andress. I know. I know. And that's another thing. I'm thinking of my favorite Bond girls. Like, well, <laughs> Ava Green is my favorite, but that seems like a lot to go through. Uh, I'm gonna, and all you do is kiss some fingers. I know. <laughs> well, they do get it on at one point. Do on they? On their little uh, Venice holiday. Yeah. Oh, oh, sure. Later. Yeah. yeah. But I, I was I was referencing uh, earlier 
when it shows her after that first night they spend in the same hotel. Yeah, not there. They clearly show the mm-hmm. bed has been unruffled. Yes. Yeah. Okay. They're definitely. But not. yeah, sure. Yeah, they have a good romp later. Then I'm going to romp. <laughs> <laughs> I may go octopusy because I love Mod Adams, and that's yeah. just a light. He's having a good time the whole way through. Uh huh. And that's you know who doesn't want a good time? Yeah, and Faberge eggs. That's right. <laughs> All right. I love it. Uh, and then finally, movie going one one. When you get to the theater, what's your what's your jam? Where do you sit? And what do you get? Uh, I'm someone who's like I don't. I'm not this way in the rest of my life, but I hate being late to movies. Mm, I want to just be able to relax a bit before, even before the previews, mm-hmm. just because it feel. I don't want to feel rushed or stressed getting yeah. to a movie because I really do enjoy them. So I want the conditions to be right. So right. I like to sit middle back, not all the way back, but. Yeah, there I I will often maybe get a hot dog. Hot dog. Maybe a hot dog. Like it's definitely back from the very first time. Yeah. Yeah. And I like either some like Reese's pieces or Sour Patch Kids. And I've taken to going to the counter and saying, give me a bag of kids. And uh, just to see the reaction (laughs) of of people. And then um, a tea. Usually I'll get an iced tea. Oh. But we've been going to those like I think you're my first iced tea. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'm not a soda guy anymore. Yeah, I'm not really either, but sometimes at a movie theater I'll get like a giant root beer. Yeah. Just well, to the, indulge. At the Arc Light in Pasadena, they yeah. have one of those like mega universal beverage vending machines where it just has a computer and mm-hmm. you pick. So like then I'll get maybe like a grape Pisces or something. Oh, God. nice. But they all, we also occasionally go to that. We call it the lie down theater, the eye pick where you can get one of those. Like they have food service in the theater and yeah. you can get a full meal. So that's a whole different story, but that's for special occasions. Otherwise, yeah, I, it's. I just, don't love those. I always feel a bit distracted. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the movie. You kind of have to tailor it to the movie and if it's a, what kind of outing you're having. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right, man. All right. That was a lot of fun. It was really fun for me. I could talk about that movie till the cows come home. So yeah, thank well, you, I'm going to remind you and bug you about being on James Bonding. Oh, I would love I'm it. Just here. let me know anytime you're back in town next time and we'll do it. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. All right, everybody. That was super fun. I mean, I thought I knew a thing or two about James Bond, but that was that was seriously impressive. And I feel like I'm going to talk with Matt again on either his show or just having him back in here. We might do a Bond special part two. Um, and maybe we'll do A View to a Kill next time, a movie that we both love for, for different reasons than Casino Royale. Uh, great movie, great guest. Uh, Matt is a, a, is a good dude. And you can follow him uh, on Twitter at Matt Gorley. M-A-T-T-G-O-U-R-L-E-Y. And why don't you Google the uh, this house he renovated that we talked about? Uh, it's really cool. I can't remember the magazine, but I think if you probably Google Matt Gorley and house renovation, uh, you, will, you will find it and his wonderful plaid walls and his lovely wife, Amanda. They're just great. So thanks to Matt for coming in. Hope you enjoyed the, the Bond special. Uh, maybe it'll be another one day, like I said. And uh, thanks for listening. And until next time... Take it shaken and not stirred. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. What if you could learn from the world's most inspiring women? Now you can. 
Introducing Seneca Women, Conversations on Power and Purpose. We bring you purpose-driven, actionable ideas and insights from leaders such as Tori Birch, Madeline Albright, Katie Couric, Valerie Jarrett, Andrea Jung, and many more. Listen to Seneca Women, Conversations on Power and Purpose on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall in a therapist's office and get a behind-the-scenes look at what they're really thinking? I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm a psychotherapist, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic. Hey, I'm Guy Winch. I'm a psychologist, and I write the Dear Guy Advice column for TED. And we're the hosts of a new show on the iHeartRadio podcast network called Dear Therapists. Think of it as an advice column in the form of a podcast. Except we talk to you. But it doesn't stop there. One of the most frustrating things for us as advice columnists is that no one gets to hear what happened and how things turned out. But on our show, you will. We ask listeners to test drive our advice and come back on to give us an update. So if you'd like to talk with us about a problem, big or small, send us an email at advice at iheartmedia.com. We can't wait to get you on our couch. Guy, they'll be calling in. Yeah, but they could be sitting on a couch. (laughs) 